Similar to our next guest, Jeff Melender is the founder and CEO of Redwall Prince, up kind of by Milwaukee -ish area. He's focused on growing his business from starting in the rock band back in 2004. I'm going to let him actually tell you guys about where he's at today and the size that he's grown into, and we'll dive into some topics from there. So, Jeff, come on up and welcome. Thank you. Hi, well, yeah, my name is Jeff Mylander. Um, oh, wait, shit. Yeah. All right. Nice. Fire sorry. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, so anyway, so I own a. Uh, mainly apparel screen printing company in Milwaukee uh, called Redwall. Uh, started the business um, probably about late 90s, about 98 or so, you know, printing in the basement. Um, uh, I got into it mainly, I was playing in bands, and it was a way to make some money and make some merch and go on tour. And that was really kind of the only intention that I had at the time. Um, I did that probably for you know, a couple of years of trying, trying to go on tours and, and whatnot, but it, it didn't take too long until I was printing for you know, friends, bands, um, you know, other local businesses, whatnot, um, and then it just kind of, it really just kind of scaled from there. Um, just the, the need to expand uh, production equipment-wise, employees, things like that. Um, how, how old were you when you first started? So I started doing this. Uh, so I'm 38 now. So I was about 18. Um, you know, just getting out of high school. So yeah, starts again. Started in the basement from there. It, again, it wasn't long. Probably about 2002 is really when I, I got more serious about it. Um, you know, first I was just printing the manual screen, squeegee on tables, and you know, real, real simple, real, real crude. And I, I had no training at all. I mean, it was really more just the want to try to figure out how to do this. Um, so yeah, about 2002 is when I got some, I got a four-color manual press, flash dryer, uh, built my own exposure unit, um, and started doing it a little more seriously. Uh, came up with the name Redwall, um, which came from the basement that, that I was working in. It's like a duplex in the had a red brick wall around the bottom. That, that was really it. It was really more just uh, I needed to go to the bank and uh, get an account and give the name. And a friend of mine was just like, hey, call the red wall. It's where you're working. And I said, okay, great. So that just kind of stuck. You know, I thought that maybe I'd change that down the line. But again, not really an intention of doing this as long as I've done it. Um, so yeah, 2002 to 2005 kind of grew, you know, grew doing it more. I was going to school, working other jobs, whatnot. Um, 2005 is when I jumped in full time. Um, quit all my other jobs, was done with school, and just said, this is it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for it. And um, at that point, it was still just me, working on a manual, um, Blue Max 3, and um, you know, some just, you know, old M&R equipment. Um, and uh, then, again, just as things grew, you know, I've always been pretty driven to keep up with customer demands, and be printing for bands and entertainment industry and whatnot, it was always, you know, especially then, you know, talking like early 2000s with big prints, you know, as big as you can, water-based discharge, lots of colors, uh, difficult stuff to print, so that was you know really the driver. I was like, okay, I got to get bigger equipment, got to get an automatic equipment, and um, you know, 2007 is when I got into that whole world, um, and that was obviously a big jump. You know, depending on how many of you here are running autos, I mean, going from manual to automatic equipment really does change your life, um, and that, that was a obviously a big big step there that kind of forced the need to have employees. Um, and again, it wasn't long until I was adding my second and third and fourth auto. Um, the building I was in at that time was about 3,000 square feet, but I ended up kind of taking over sections of it, about 7,000 square feet when I moved out of there in 2011. Um, and at that time, I had about 20, about 25 employees. 
Uh, they run four autos out of, out of a 7,000 square foot building, and it was just kind of a nightmare. <laughs> but but it was still, you know, it was good. Um, and um, yeah, then moved into our next building, uh, which actually purchased that building, um, and that was in 2011. And we were up to six autos in there, and then in 2015 moved into our current building, which is just under 100,000 square feet, where we run 14, 14 autos, um, five manuals, um, actually re actually in the works of purchasing an embroidery company to bring embroidery in-house as well. Um, and we have about 75 to, you know, 75 to 85 employees, depending on the time of year. Um, so that's kind of a quick rundown as how, so, how we got to today. Let me, let me, go, let me go back real quick. The, the first auto purchase, I think, as you mentioned, is a, is a very cool jump. Up. If you could talk about, you know, the financial decision, yeah. did you buy new or used? Um, what, what, what was your mindset going through that? Sure. Yeah, I bought very used. Definitely was very used. It was a Challenger one from probably 1989. It's probably one of the first Challenger, I mean, our Challenger ones ever made. Um, I think I paid about, I think it was about $7,500. And yeah, it was a big, it was a big decision. I actually didn't even have a place to put it at that time. I was still working out of like a 600, probably about six, 700 square foot, like a storefront where I lived upstairs and worked downstairs. But I knew I needed to do this. And, um, you know, I came across an auto down in Indiana and um, I just went and got it. And again, I really didn't even know where I was going to put it. I found the warehouse where I thought I was going to move, but that didn't pan out. So I actually moved this press maybe two or three times before I actually found a home for where I was going to keep building the business. Um, and it, it just was, again, it was one of those things where I just knew I had to do this to, to continue building the business, get more production, more volume, and, and really just keep up with customer demands. Uh, I forgot to ask, what instrument <coughs> did you play in the band? I, I had drums I started, then I played guitar. So purchase that was that you just paid cash for it off the yeah okay yeah and so brought it in set up was it it was just you still it was me no it was me and yeah pretty much just me and it was one other part time person that kind of worked with me a little bit but um, it was pretty much just me but as soon as that was we got settled in that location with that that equipment um, I ended up with two employees pretty much right away how did you where did you find those two uh, one of them was my soon to be sister in law she, you know she was just, just a point. My wife now, but girlfriend at the time, was oh, okay. sister, and then another guy that was just a friend from playing bands. You know, just the, just the kid that was interested in, in the whole process, and he just wanted to be print shirts. Got it. Yeah. Now, so it's just mainly so him. Obviously, was a friend. Um, her was that like Prices or just through friends to the friends? Oh no, yeah, that was just no, it was just like a family friend. Oh, okay. Yeah, this was just um, yeah, just real real organic as far as I. Gotcha, and then. Um, as the business started to grow, you know, you're, it seems more focused on contract customers, right? Yeah. Is there a mix of? Yeah, so, so starting out, it was definitely all direct, you know, so, and that's another thing too, I guess just a, you know, contract, that's one thing too that confused me when I started doing this is what people would say contract printing. I thought that meant that it meant you had a contract to print and you were like locked in and just, you always had that yeah. work. And you know, then kind of came to find out, no, contract printing really just means that you, you're kind of like the guy in the back that no one knows about and you're selling business to business. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it really just means that you're a contractor. You know, they're, they're gonna provide the shirts, they're gonna provide the art, they're gonna give you a PO, and you're just gonna print what they tell you to print. And um, I, I really fell into that mainly, um, again, just looking for opportunities as I was growing. Uh, there were other shops that were either closing down or, you know, have layoffs and things like that. So I started to kind of like see these things happen and try to bring in employees that were either, you know, facing layoffs or, or just, you know, their shops were closing down or whatnot. That really helped to get experienced <coughs> people in quickly. Um, and that was definitely, you know, that there were, there were a couple times that things like that happened and that definitely helped to, you know, not only bring in 
the employees, but in some way bring in the business as well. Was that word of mouth that you heard about the closing? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Was that uh, like 08, 010, or what? Um, yeah, we would be talking, yeah, right around then. Gotcha. Yeah, just you know, 2008, and in 2008 I was still small, just growing, you know, I mean, I really didn't, I was just cruising right through that, that time period right there, which was great, but again, some of these larger shops weren't doing so well, and I think that kind of allowed me to not only find some business, but also, you know, find employees, find business, and, um, you know, kind of pick up those pieces as I was continuing to grow. So, yeah, so that's really in that time period there between 2007 to 2010 is really when I went from, you know, me and two other employees and me printing on a press every day, 14 hours a day, um, to finding, bringing people kind of pretty, pretty quickly, you know, and as I, as I got equipment, I'd find people to, to run it. So I went. I was up to probably about 20, 20 25 employees within those two year, that two year period. Right there. So um, the transition between going direct to consumer and transitioning yeah. to more contract, when did that happen, or how did that happen? Yeah, and that's that's partly having and the equipment, I suppose. You know, I mean, I've always been very. I like equipment. I like production. I like to see things moving and volume, and just it's great when you see presses just just slamming out shirts. I think I think that was part of it. Is kind of you know, coming from for bands, local businesses, whatnot, but then seeing this whole other kind of animal of promotional products industry and of you know resellers and, and just marketing firms and, and whatnot that were you know they, they had this need they were sent you know they were, they wanted to supply the shirts they wanted to give you the artwork but needed the printing done and I think really having the, the equipment and wanting to fill the equipment is really what started me getting kind of down that path um, where it was like okay you know we're not making as good margins aren't as good on, on contract work because you're kind of the middleman. And sometimes you're the middleman of like three other <laughs> middlemen. You know, you're kind of at the bottom of the chain. And um, But it was a way to just kind of keep things working, uh, keep the machines running and, and keep, keep people people working. And um, But once you kind of, you know, I kind of got a taste of that and again seeing the volume and, and just the production and, and again being really interested in the equipment and just the process, um, you know, just want to keep growing it. And a lot of it then too is building this customer base of contract clients that were then asking for more, asking for higher volumes or faster turnarounds or higher color counts, um, just more specialty printing, things like that. And that really just pushed me. And I hate saying no. It, it, was, I mean, it's, it just drives me crazy when a customer wants something and I can't do it. So that's really how I've kind of just kept growing to where I, I have a shop now where we can pretty much say yes to virtually any screen print apparel technique, whether it's volume or high color count, you know, simulated process, full color, you know, discharge water based, special effects, all that kind of stuff. You know, we, we pretty much can do it all. You know, a lot of what we do is actually print for other printers now as well. Um, printers that get in vines where, kind of like where I was, where if, if somebody, yeah, I think back to when I was printing on a manual, you know, me, myself, would, would get a job for, you know, 3,000 shirts before color front, four color back, and that'd take like a week and a half in some cases, right? And it's just grueling work. And, um, you know, looking back now, it's almost like if I had options to contract that out and not kind of hold up the rest of the production flow. You know, that would have been good. So again, we do that for a lot of printers now. Uh, part of our client base is other printers that are just either in capacity. It's usually capacity issues. It's when somebody lands a you know, 30, 40, 50,000 piece order and just doesn't, they just can't do it. So. so you talked about buying the equipment and then wanting to feed the machine in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah so yeah. Did, you, did you like buy the next press and then say, okay, I have to find clients <coughs> or is it a little bit of a little bit of both, but for what sure. Triggered, yeah. What triggered the fourth, you know? Sometimes it was just seeing it, seeing a good deal on it, you know, like, uh, you know, seeing something that was for sale or somebody that I knew that was selling something is being like, yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna pass it up. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's yeah, kind of a, you know, if you build it, they will come sort of, like mentality, and it definitely did kind of, I mean, it, it worked. 
Um, but at the same time, it's also nice just to have the compressors for different capabilities too. You know, have this, this more kind of like smaller order jam press. The manuals do a certain thing, autos do another thing. We kind of still treat our shop that way now. We've got, you know, high, really high color count presses. You know, we've got all press Alpha 8 that's dedicated just to all over printing. Um, and it's, it just helps to kind of have that equipment to facilitate whatever comes in as quickly as possible. So um, finding some of these customers, you, you talked about like really hunting to find them. Where did you start finding them? And did you really start to look for more contract type of bigger business clients? Yeah. You started yeah, realizing, yeah. okay, this is more consistent long term? Or yeah, I would, I would say. Where did you, like, yeah. where'd you go physically to, to, uh, to find the clients? A lot of it really was word of mouth up until, you know, once, at least for the first, we do some advertising now, we do trade shows and, and things like that, but really haven't done much of that up until probably about you know, four or five years ago. Um, and even now we don't do a lot of it. It's, it. It is a lot of word of mouth and it's just a lot of, um, with that said, I mean, trade shows do help, gets our name out there, gets us in front of um, you know, different promotional products distributors. Um, I mean, the whole promotional products distribution industry, and there's a lot of just small mom and pop shops out there. That are, they're, I mean, they're not printing at all. They're just out there trying to sell the product trying to sell shirts to whoever and that, that really is our sales force so you know if we can keep them educated as far as what we can do and um, you know, deliver on time and give them, give them the best product that, that really helps them to be able to sell more and, you know they that's I mean really our sales force is all of our customers in, in a sense sure I guess first what does your day-to-day -day look like now and then what did it look like or, or, or like how did it change yeah, I mean, starting and knowing every single aspect of a business and then trying to delegate and give up pieces of it is, I mean, it was really hard for me. Um, you know, whether it's just getting someone on press or, I mean, even when I probably had 10 employees, I was still out pretty much printing and shooting screens if need, but, you know, need be. I'd, I'd stay late and do that so the next morning people had screens to walk into. And it, it is hard to try to give that stuff up because you do kind of have this feel like, this feeling like, no one's gonna do it as good as you, right? Sure. And maybe that's true sometimes, but at the same time, you gotta learn to trust people so that so that you can focus on growing the business. You know, I mean, working. You want to work on the business, not necessarily in the business. Although, you know, I definitely still do work in the day to day, probably more than I'd like. But you know, it's still just kind of that process. You know, I know we're def definitely still a growing company and trying to delegate things and get certain tasks just off my desk and onto whoever else. And then even from there, you see like. You know, so everything goes on to you know main production supervisor, and now one thing we're working on now is how do we get some of that responsibility off of him and onto other you know, other other managers within the organization. How did you hop out? You talked about the yeah. How did I, I think that's how a did I get out? transition. Yeah, it was very. I mean, yeah, it's very difficult. I mean, it still continues with me right now. Right. But, yeah, um, I think it's really just finding the right people too. I mean, when you find people you can trust, you gotta you know treat them right and make sure that they understand that, that it's important important part of the organization and of the company. I mean, the company the company doesn't work without the employees, and really that is that is like the most valuable part of, of any any company. But, you know, in, in screen printing, I mean, you gotta have people that you can trust and, and that understand and that wanna be there and like being there. And once you find that, then I think that's when you can start to kind of phase yourself out. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's just kind of something that just sort of happened, um, also kind of out of my own sanity, I suppose, too, just to, to kind of place myself out a little bit just so that I, I could focus on, I can focus on the business and try to figure out personal life and things like that. Sure, so, sure. So, so personal life is actually a good point. You were talking about before, 14 hour days. I mean, obviously getting started, it takes a lot of time. Um, you have a family now, uh, yeah. newborn, congratulations again. Um, 
how do you balance that? I mean, that's a big business to balance between everything that's going on. You also kind of the struggle and tension between, you know, getting really hands-on and just backing off too. How do you balance the personal life and the work life? Yeah, I mean, it's, it is difficult just because this industry tends to swing around quite a bit. I mean, you have busy times of year and slower times of the year and, and just even week by week, some, some days things you just gotta work later. And that is tough and you know, I do try to balance that adding, I've, I've got two kids now and, and trying to you know, make sure I can get home before, at least before they go to bed, which, which is, looking back to when I, when I started doing this, I mean, I print all night. You know, I mean, it wasn't, you know, I've been, my wife now, I mean, I've been with her pretty much the entire time, but I've been doing this, so she's kind of used to it, I suppose. But um, it's important to balance it, though, for sure. You know, my when I worked out of, I mentioned that I, I shopped downstairs and I lived upstairs, and that was actually tough. You know, looking back at that now, it's it's hard when you are right there all the time. You know, I know other, other guys that are in similar situations where they work in print right in the same, like even sometimes like right in the same room. Yeah. And, you know, I, I mean, I was, you just don't even leave the house for weeks at a time, and you know that, that's just it does get a little grueling when you're in a situation like that. So, um, no, I definitely think it's important to try to separate it as much as you can. Is, it, is there like more specific tactical things that you try? So you talk about being home before and you're asleep, or like is there weekends you set off or days? Oh yeah, yeah, I try to try to do that. But again, it kind of depends on what's going on. You know, I mean, we even like if we ever really try to actually take, we try to take vacations, but it's kind of hard to do that. But when that stuff comes up, it's it's almost like. Hey, this weekend there's not much going on. Let's go somewhere. Sure. Yeah, that's kind of how it is. Um, pretty often. Is she still involved in the business? No, no. She she really never was too involved with. It. Oh, she okay. was kind of. Um, I mean, obviously supporting, very supportive of everything that I've, that I've done. But um, but yeah, I mean, a little bit here and there. She she does a little bit, but not 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 much day to day. Gotcha. Can you talk about if you can remember maybe a difficult period? I mean, this is obviously a long scale since 2004, but. Do you remember like a really difficult or low period that's happened? Not really. I mean, we've been, you know, I mean, there's always challenges. I mean, every day there's something going on that we're, we're trying to figure out, you know, whether it's related to printing or related to HR or OSHA compliance or, you know, the, all kinds of things like that that can just come up. And I wouldn't say that really causes a low point. It's just that there's there's just always, you know, hurdles of a growing company that you got to, you know, and again, really me building this from the ground up, I don't, a lot of like, Things will come, like OSHA compliance, you know, that kind of stuff just comes up when you're like, hey, you're over this many employees, are you doing all this stuff? And I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and then really, you know, that's where, when I kind of ran into that situation, was hiring an HR manager that had experience in this and just, you know, let her develop the whole department, the HR department, and really just run with it, make sure that we're doing everything the way we need to be doing it. What size were you at when you Probably it was overdue. That was something that should have happened sooner. Um, and yeah, because I was doing. I mean, even just like you know, just just hiring and things like that and, and what else. So it's probably going on like three, four years now that she's she's been really doing that. So before that, I was all, I was handling all of the HR and all the hiring and all the you know verification and things like that for employees and, and benefits management and everything. And that's uh, that's that was a big thing to get off my shoulders. That now you know HR manager is focused on all that. And, you know, it's been it's been nice not having to involved with that for sure. So kind of tying back to the day-to-day, -day, what does your day look like now sure. you know, when you're coming in, yeah. timing even? I mean a lot of, I still am involved, I kind of on a background on the day-to-day, -day. you know I'm not really, I'm not like out on the floor, I'm not doing press approvals and things like that. When, I mean I do, I do some, I'm not real tied to it because of the customers that I'm working with, but yeah, I still deal with, I deal with a lot of the customers, you know, most of them actually, 
Um, we do have two other sales you know, sales reps that uh, really two and a half, I suppose. One of my one of my main production guys also does credit sales and kind of customer service, I suppose. Sure. But um, you know, I'm still involved with a lot of the customer communications and, and getting jobs and you know, making sure that they're happy with what we're doing and, and trying to you know trying to land jobs as well. Um, and then working on just general things with the business, you know, like we're working right now with our, you know, our technology. That's yeah. how we met. Yeah. <laughs> you know, things like that where you know, I'm, again, still kind of involved with the day-to-day, -day, but also trying to be part of the bigger picture and, and move things along that way. So, uh, like, is the vast majority sales related or, or kind of customer? It's, well, I wouldn't say vast majority, but it's, it's probably about half of what I'm doing throughout the day is, is still dealing with customers and, and making sure that they're getting what they need. And, and in lots of cases, too, actually just taking the orders, you know, getting them getting them in-house. In sure. Going a, a little different direction, what would you say is something you would have done sooner? Um, kind of tough. I mean, big, I, I think big equipment changes are always good. You know, looking at, uh, we went to direct-to-screen. That was a big one for us. Went to direct-to-screen pretty much right when M&R came out with the STE, which is the direct-to-screen that has the exposure built into it. Um, and that just changed the way we did everything. I mean, we had, you know, we were still shooting film even with like six autos and we didn't add any more presses when we brought in the director screen that just made everything run faster and smoother and job recalls just I mean really that's that's something that I think looking back like even though I don't know we could have done it much sooner because I really liked that machine and it wasn't really around before then but you know if anybody here is considering it absolutely do it because it, it will just you know film management and storage and just the time it takes and, and it just makes you know we don't save screens at all I mean, screens basically are shot you go to press the printer to come off with every point. And you know when you're when you're doing film, there's a thought that you want to try to save it just because you have more time and money invested. Even if we have to, honestly, a lot of times even if we have to do color changes, we're just shooting other screens. It's faster. And that's one thing that I think, um, as far as equipment wise. Yes, yeah. Any, is yeah. there anything else you can think of that? Um, probably not really. I mean, I think the growth that we've had, I mean, it was pretty rapid, but it was controllable. So I wouldn't really say that I would want to do anything faster or differently than I did, um, as far as you know, staffing and, and all that. I think it's more just um, you know process oriented. When you do something, you're like, wow, this is great. We should have done this earlier. I want to also open this up. I think this is a really good dialogue. Is everybody's at different kind of levels of their business? Um, is there anything that we've gone over yet that you guys have a question on that you want to hop into? Yeah, Alan. So on the uh, the OSHA you're talking about, mm -hmm. does your HR person also serve as your OSHA compliance person and make sure that because those are related but not? They're related. Yeah. Well, when we get into um, well, it's, it's up, I mean, I expect my HR manager to be up on everything that we're doing and have you know, have knowledge of what we have to be doing as far as social compliance. But if we do, we'll bring in, um, actually just bring in our insurance, our insurance company. You know, they'll come in and do audits and, and just kind of make sure that we've got all our documentation in place. Um, payroll providers, sometimes we do that. Um, we use ADP. I wouldn't necessarily recommend trusting everything they say. But, um, you know, your insurance company is a good way to do that because they're tied in with your workers' comp. And they, it's to their benefit to make sure that you have everything set up properly, um, and just that you're, that, yeah. I mean, not just, not even just, um, well, benefits providers as well, because kind of ties into just compliance in general. Is your your hiring practices? You know, if you're offering 401k health insurance things like that, are you doing all your notices properly? Um, is all that it just is all that running the way that it should? So yeah, basically we. Again, my HR manager kind of oversees all of that, but then I, with her as well, I mean, we'll work on outside consultants, I suppose, um, that'll come in and, and work on that kind of thing. So, with, with seasonality of that, um, are are many or majority of those team members full time? Or are they temp? Or 
No, pretty much everyone that works for me is full time. Okay. It's it's hard to have part time because everyone's working in a press crew. So you know you've got, and because of the seasonality too, I mean, everyone wants overtime for the most part. So and, and it just happens in this industry a lot. And you're, We'll have to work 10 hour days so so full time is pretty much what we try to require um, we will have part time sometimes for um, you know things like occasionally like art department or you know we do digital printing as well like EDG printing so sometimes that we can because that's a more self like one person can run one machine um, but really anything running on automatic we really have to have like a, a set team of people and doesn't really work when someone's going home before the rest of them so if there's you know a, a larger order that comes in a bag and tag are you moving people across training yeah i mean we definitely do a lot of cross training um not that they on the packaging side i mean our catchers will know how to package and and um, different packaging requirements for different comp or different customers uh, we, d we do cross train to some degree and we try to that's something we're working on is trying to have more of that even as far as having our press operators understand that because they're, they're most likely not ever going to do that but it's still important that they understand the process and what's happening after they're done with what they do because that's you know it's easy when you have a shop with that many people they don't communicate you know they, they kind of just don't communicate the way that they should and then people are pointing fingers at why there's mistakes so it's just important that everyone understands the whole process of you know, how the shirt gets is that something you take people out of and, and say okay today's an education day or, or like how, how are they getting it's not really it's really more just just kind of hands-on you know say okay you know you've been here working as a catcher we're gonna have to go work as uh, you know, you're gonna oh, so, so okay, so you're physically moving up yeah. And how often does that happen? Um, not as often as we kind of like to do it because with the customer demands and tight turnarounds and sometimes just don't have the ability to do that. But it's really every time we're trying to, a lot of times it's also kind of just trying to see like who can do what and then make sure that the people that are working there are in the best place that they should be. Gotcha. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you recommend ADP? Like does your HR manager use that and her own resources? I mean, we, well, for payroll, we just use ADP. Um, it's, I don't know, we have a lot of problems with them, to be honest. But um, I mean, as far as, and if you're just looking, it depends on what you're looking to do, I guess. You know, if you're just looking to do simple payroll, and it depends on the size of you, the, how many employees you have and whatever, I think it's not a bad option just because it's it's real kind of cookie cutter. Like, here's your. Yeah. Your payroll. I mean, does she use a lot of those resources, like the benefits? And yeah, stuff all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and we actually recently moved on to their comprehensive services platform, where they were supposed to be getting more. Um, it's like 150 bucks a pay period or something. Or something. Yeah, we pay per employee. I'm not sure. I don't even know what it is, but I mean, it's it's more. But uh, you know, the idea there is that we do get the support when it comes to you know anything really, even like having another set of eyes on, on like employee handbooks and things like that. Like there's people there that will, and they, I mean, they have OSHA compliance people as well. They've got you know, health safety compliance people. Um, just kind of, you know, there's more resources that you can use, but with that said, they're not, they're still a huge organization. <coughs> that sometimes you kind of get lost in the mix. Very cool. Um, yeah. Um, you mentioned that you just brought embroidery to the house? Working on it, yeah, I actually just, signed the deal this week so so yeah basically it was a kind of a mom pop embroidery company uh they got about, about five machines and you know, a few employees and guys looking to retire and i kind of seized that opportunity to, to buy it and then we'll, we'll be bringing the house here probably within the next month or so um i'm just wondering like what specific factors you considered when you were just thinking about that like, how long did you wait yeah well we we did embroidery probably about going on seven years ago now we, we did embroidery for probably about three years um, but 
it wasn't, as we got into more of the, con the contract side, uh, it became more difficult. Embroidery contract, just like screen print contract, really, I mean, the volume is, is important. And uh, I only had two, a six head and a two head, and it was older machines. So I was like, we want to upgrade these machines, put in more machines, dedicate to that, or really focus on the screen print side. So at the time when we got out of that, it was really, let's focus on um, you know, expanding the screen print production, getting in bigger presses, faster presses, you know, more capabilities on, on, on screen print. Uh, I also had a DTG. Uh, we have a couple core needs that we run. And that was sort of a decision, you know, which way do I want to go right now? And at the time, I think it was the right decision. It made more sense to keep focusing on the apparel. You know, how, how we, we just want to print a t-shirt any way a customer wants it, right? And when the time was right, get back into, into embroidery. And we've got a lot of customer demand for it. We always have. I mean, customers want that one-stop shop where they can get, and you, and you don't really want them to go split it because that other place might also screen print. So, you know. Uh, we, not really, because it's not really our, we're mainly contract. We do a little bit for, for long-term customers. Like, we've got a customer, because even, we are probably about, you know, 90% of our volume is contract work, but we still do some direct work, mainly for the customers we've had for a long time. You know, again, starting this, what I, what I was doing, it was all direct. I mean, I, I still have some of the same customers that I've had for 15 plus years. So, you know, if they're looking for pint glasses, we'll figure out how to get them pint glasses. Um, you talked about kind of growing it and then assuming people are going to come and that worked out for you. Talk about like buying versus renting, leasing, financing equipment. As you started to go from small business to big business, yeah. were you working more on debt if you were? If you were no, actually that was another, it was kind of a goal the whole time for me was to try to avoid debt as much as I possibly could. Um, I, I, it's always kind of been, you know, you work real hard, you make some money, you go buy a press with that money. And that's, that's kind of the way I've always done it. There's been a couple, you know, we bought an 18 color Challenger 3 that was about a quarter million dollars a, a, little, you know, a few years ago, and that I did uh, take financing on. Uh, <laughs> on now. But I did, uh, I did on that one, that, was just a, that would have been a big hit. But everything else that we've added, for, for the most part, it's, it's just and save up and you, do it, you know? What you attribute to safe scaling is- Yeah, absolutely. I think so, because it, it's, it is a risky industry. It really can be, especially when you get into contract work and, and higher volume. And if you're sitting with these huge finance, you know, if you get getting bills every month and if you're not able to pay, you know, you get the slow times a year. And that was always a kind of a fear of mine is, is what's gonna happen if we get to that, that slow point and we can't pay for our equipment. I mean, that's a horrible feeling. So it's really more just do it when the time is right and when we can afford it. Um, same with buildings. I mean, that's a big thing too that I, I feel like I, I strongly believe in is that we, you know, I've, I've owned the last two buildings, the building we're in now, and the last building we're in, and that helps a lot too because if you can find the right deal and, and position yourself well that way, you're, you could be. I mean, where I'm at now, I probably it's probably a third of what I would pay if I leased the building I was in. You know, my, my bottom line cost of what I'm doing there, and even that just helps a lot with just kind of the, the security as you're trying to scale it. You know, and that said, too, I mean, I like real estate. It's another thing. I mean, if I didn't do this, that potentially is what maybe I would be, be into doing. You know, the building that we had before, I mean, I bought that building, turned it, you know, kind of renovated it somewhat, turned it into a production facility, and I sold it for well over probably twice what I paid for it, only like three years later. So even things like that that you can kind of be doing. As a, as a large contract partner, um, which is kind of a love-hate relationship, I'm sure, uh, what are some of the, what's the biggest issue you run into as the business owner? taking on a lot of contract work? And what's the biggest issue your employees run into? Because it's probably different. Well, I think it's true in any, just, our industry is just really time sensitive and everybody wants it tomorrow. 
I think it's harder in a contract world because the numbers can be higher or the, the, the demands can just be faster because there's more people involved. So that the customer might, might place that order, but then my customer doesn't necessarily tell me for three days after their customer placed the order, but they still expect it by that Friday. So a lot of time crunches, I mean, that's, that's probably one of the most difficult things that we deal with. And the fact that we're not ordering the stock, and that's something that I understand that everyone thinks they're getting a better deal and that they're not, you know, we would have to mark it up if we were buying it because we're floating blowing the cash on it for however long. And it makes it difficult when you don't know necessarily, really all, we need stock PO and art. If I get stock PO and art, we're good to go. But if I don't get one of those three things, when we need it to meet those deadlines, it just creates issues. And we do deliver on time, 100%. Like we never are late. Even if the customer needs it tomorrow, we're gonna get it done. But that does put a lot of strain on the employees and just on the shop in general. And that's more, you know, we're asking people to work 12 hour days just to get things done. A lot of that is just because our customers didn't quite prepare. Is everyone supplying their own? individual purchase order or do you guys have a certain yeah now everyone kind of does it their own way that's another thing that we're kind of working on trying to figure out a way to you know Bruce might be helping me with that trying to figure out a way to give our customers something that they can use to kind of standardize it but a lot of a lot of companies are set in their ways you know they do it the way that they do it they use multiple printers so they can't you know necessarily they don't want to do it differently just for this one guy right so they're gonna they have their ways of doing it and we just kind of have to adapt with that and that, that can be tricky too because you kind of got to learn you know, this customer likes to make this mistake, this customer makes this mistake, and you kind of have people involved, artists and the order entry people just kind of know what to look for. But really, I mean, when it comes down to it, I mean, if we get solid PO that's got all the information about when to ship, how to ship, when it needs to ship, where the stock is coming from, and then the stock gets there when it's supposed to, and we have our art, and it's approved, right, when we send the approval, you know, we're, we're good to go. But that's, yeah, most of the strain is just getting the information from the customer when we need it. On the team management side, so asking them to work over or, or you know, a little bit in that higher stress or shifting them around, are the things you do to keep people amped up over time? Or, or Most people are just willing to do it, especially the long term. You know, people that have been there for a long time. I mean, some of the guys that are working for me, and they've been doing this for 10 plus years, and they just kind of know it's kind of how the industry is. Plus, they look at an opportunity to get paid more. You know, it's just, it's, so most, majority of people are very eager and, and happy to do that. But you know, some people can't, so we do, we typically we're doing overtime, we have people sign up pretty much to, to understand that they are going to be doing this so they don't just not show up you know, on Saturdays or something like that. We have sign-up sheets so that people kind of are on the hook for coming. Otherwise, if people go out Friday and they don't show up Saturday <laughs> and you're expecting them to be there and then you can't run your production. You know, communicating with employees and just making sure they're on board for it. Sure, gotcha. Yeah, exactly. So I have two questions, one to you and one for Bruce. The first one for you is, we're in a much smaller market, you know, South Carolina versus, you said, uh, Minnesota, correct? We're in Milwaukee. I'm in Milwaukee, yeah, so yeah. we do about 60, 40, um, you know, contract versus retail or our own customers. And so a lot of problems we run into, you know, our contractors, we, you know, they rely on us to get a job done and we might have somebody come in and say, hey, we need 2,000 pieces by this Friday, but we can't take on our own customers. Yeah. So how do you, you know, slice that, say, hey, contractor, you gotta be put on hold, or how it's, you manage that? And then the other question yeah. for you, Bruce, is will y'all ever have a portal where contractors can go online and have their own portal versus just seeing their jobs, or where they can go and upload their artwork and, and PO, per so se. To the customer. Correct, yeah, for, the, for the contract. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of us having them port it all in, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, well, I think the first part of your question there, I mean, that's, that's kind of the reason why I've, I've scaled to the point where I have, uh, or 
where I've gotten is because we do have a lot of capacity, and that happens all the time. I mean, it's it's almost a, a busy time of year. It's a daily thing where we're trying to just shove something else in there, and uh, that, that's really what it just comes down to trying to just schedule it as best you can and have the capacity to, to do it. Because uh, again, saying no, I hate I hated that, and when it's run even even six autos, it was tough to do that. Well, right now, uh, it's. It still can be tough, but we do have the, the firepower to get pretty much anything done. Uh, occasionally, we will have to. I mean, it's, again, it's rare, but sometimes we do. So if someone comes at me on a on a Friday and wants fifty thousand shirts on by Monday, and we've already got everything booked, you know, I'll just you know, we'll pass on stuff like that, <laughs> which I hate. But you know, sometimes it just happens. Did you try to manage? Like, do you try to work with the customer to try to manage any expectations with that, or is it just? It's just how it goes. It's kind of just how it goes. Especially our, our stable daily customers. I mean, if we say no, they're just like, what? Like, no, what? No, you can't say no. You already said yes. And that's and that's good. I mean, that is the relationship that I want to have. So we, we, let's, yeah, we, just, we just get it done. Sure. What's interesting is we actually have a lot of shops that are starting to do that. And actually, uh, Steve back there, who's going to be having a talk to, has his meeting contract, his registry type of students come in and they log in and enter in all their information and create orders and then change it to a status where they have to then approve it internally. So um, it's nothing kind of official per se, but if you create, since we give unlimited users, you can actually create a video to say, aside permissions, they can only do certain things and be able to upload some of our So we try that and they can see, a, or they can see all the pricing they you know oh, oh! So you want to assign price yeah, metrics like to yeah, yeah. yeah. That so that specific piece is a is a permission that we've got on our roadmap too, and I'm going to go over the roadmap uh, tomorrow. So yeah, yeah, the back right. Uh, as you've grown, you said you uh, grew a lot of the capacity by adding more equipment. What I guess went into the decision making on that versus adding a second shift? We run two shifts as well. Oh, you run two shifts. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my, my second shift isn't at full capacity though, and we could potentially run a third shift as well. So as far as our equipment, we're, we're not at full, like full 24 hour capacity. Uh, but a lot of that too is just to have more equipment on, you know, first shift is just an easier shift, just cause you have, that's kind of where you've got more people there, more people that are available, just better people tend to be able to work first shift, uh, just more, more liable people. So that was part of the reason to add a lot more equipment just so we can run one shift. And then we have had times where we just run one longer shift and just do that. but. I really don't. I mean, having two shifts, I think, is important because it does allow you to kind of, you can kind of fall into the next shift as needed. What was the biggest hurdle when you actually did move into that second shift? Because we're at capacity most of the year, and that's probably the next step, and that's kind of a big fear. Just trusting what, people to yeah. do stuff when you're not there. Whoever's managing it, put in a camera system and pretend like you're watching it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I think that that's the biggest thing is really just just finding whoever's going to manage it and just trusting the people there that they're, that they're doing the work and actually i mean, kind of was joking about the camera system but that really isn't a bad way to go gotcha. uh the shop that we were at before when i, when I first started we're running a second shift and that was a pretty much full second shift just you know i had cameras i could sit on my phone at home and just kind of make sure everything was running if it wasn't i could call whoever and be like hey why is you know why is press not running and it just kind of you know gives you that Three presses or no, we, pretty much every press is three. 
keys or do you have a utility? No, they're they're doing their own. Yeah, we've kind of played with that with just having a setup, basically a setup person just going around uh, setting up the jobs. But it, you know, you can train people to do that. It shouldn't be something that people can't do because then they're just kind of either they're down or you're trying to jump in between machines and you have presses. Yeah, I mean, we we have played around with ways to do that. But I think it makes more sense just to make sure that you have a press operator and, and, and they can then train their pullers as a team set up their jobs. We do have an ink room manager, so he'll, he, he checks on inks and makes sure that everyone has their inks and just kind of keeps the flow going. So it, the it, stay it, up. If you're on the long run, you know, you're having to stop the re-ink screen periodically. Yeah. So your whole press is down, All, everybody's yeah, down. Yeah, they'll All. just stop, but it, it shouldn't take that long. So are they inking their, they re-ink themselves or is your ink person doing that? No, they're doing that. Yeah. And then you were talking about that at some point you were still doing most of the art. Yeah. As you trans transitioned off of that, did you bring in people that do t-shirt art or do you just bring in people that understood graphic design yeah. and you taught them yourself or, or a little bit of both but i think i found that it's usually easier to just bring in people that have general graphic design knowledge I and mean, if they understand understand photoshop and illustrator that's kind of what we start with and uh from there i would kind of rather because every shop does things differently and if you bring someone that's been doing it for a long time in their shop and coming to another shop it, they could clash for you you find that same thing with with press operators and general employees, you better off just to train them yourself. A little bit, yeah. I think there's less less of that with with operators, and there are than there is with uh, with artists, because artists, I mean, just whether they're even working on a Photoshop or Illustrator, I mean, that can be a big difference. So having people that have the knowledge of it, and, and you know, just train them in the way that we do it, that typically works better. And that can kind of be decided for press operators as well. But good press operators that have that have been doing it are, can be the way to go though as well. Where do you find people, Jeff, on the production floor? Where, like as far as? Like, do you post online? Or? Yeah, we post online. We do job fairs and I mean all kinds of stuff. I mean, finding labor is tough right now. And so we're kind of out there. We probably advertise for labor more than for business in some ways. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, it can be tough. And um, so we try to just find people that are, that are good and want to work and then try to train, train with them as much as we can. You know, a lot of my press operators started as pullers and they had no intention of doing this however many years later, but that's just what they do now, which is great. Where, where do you, your pay scale start for your pullers or, you know, not necessarily your seasoned people, but when you're bringing people in and you, yeah. you have potential? It, it really kind of depends. I mean, we usually, it's going to be somewhere between like $8 and $9 an hour probably is where we would start. Um, that's, again, that's in, in Milwaukee for, for just kind of general labor. Uh, and then as they get on a press, you know, it can go up to you know, 12 to 15 to 20, you know, depending on what they're doing. Awesome. Yeah, Karen. Um, I'm wondering how you, your shop like absorbs the training period for new employees. And then kind of like a second part to that question, like, where's your leniency as far as mistakes? Like, are you like three strikes you're out or you copy money, you're gone. Or um, I hear you and I understand or, you know, and how does that tie into training and yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, we train pretty quick. You know, it, it, we get people into it pretty quickly. And you, most, most new kind of general labor, depending on if, they're, if we're looking for packagers or catchers or uh, really pullers or, or screen room, I mean, wherever it is, they kind of, they'll go in, they'll be working with somebody else, whether it's a, a dedicated training person or potentially just the operator that needed the person at the time. Uh, but we do have two people there um, that are operators that are kind of our dedicated trainers. So they, are they teaching an SOP? So you've yeah. got that kind of like ironed out and so yeah. everybody is printing this kind of way. Yeah, if they have if they have if they're just coming right into it and typically it's gonna be say in the in the example of hiring for a puller, uh, we'll have a press operator that will just train 
train them for usually 30 to 60 days. You try to do it within 30 days. And then from there, they'll go off to another press where someone just needed a puller. Or if they're really ready to go, you know, then we might start getting them into figuring out how they can run a press as well, you know, right away. Um, so you kind of puller don't swap out? Typically not. Uh, if they're both, well, no, I shouldn't say that. I mean, if, as we're trying to train, you know, if we're trying to train a puller to be a press operator, then yeah, they, they absolutely will swap, you know, switch out who's doing which part of, you know, who's loading and who's, who's unloading. Uh, big runs too, I mean, if someone's just running, just running a jam all day long, if, if they can both load, they'll switch just for, kind of for the, just the ease, you know, just to kind of resolve the fatigue of, of loading shirt all day, um, so. Do you, do you have uh, like position caps, like like hourly or salary caps where you say a lead, lead printer would make? We don't right now, but that's another thing that we're kind of toying with as, yeah. as we're growing mm -hmm. because it's, it, it does, it, it gets, you got to watch your labor. I mean, labor. This is. I mean, we're, we're selling labor basically in, in, a, in a competitive industry. So, well, and if we do evaluation forms, or somebody's just you know killing it month over month. Yeah. I mean, realistically, it's not like you can. Go you up can't. To you just can't keep going. Printer, yeah. You know? Yeah. So I mean, if we if we get into a situation like that, it's usually talking to the employee and just kind of under, you know having them understand like kind of you know you're getting to the feet of the top here and you're not going to get as much of a raise as maybe you got other years. It can happen. And I don't know if that kind of. What was your second part of your question? That was kind of just like, how do we, what do we do with mistakes? Did you have like a standard way you process mistakes? Or sometimes I struggle with like, I feel like I, I know one person tends to make this mistake a lot, so I'll be harder on them than somebody who is, you know, I consider to be a stronger. Yeah. Well, when, when we're scheduling, to some degree, we will schedule. You know, a lot of our my, my employees, my press operators, will kind of run the same customers, that, so they kind of get used to the flow of what that customer expectation is. You know, if we have more difficult jobs or specialty printing or whatever, we'll know. You know, or even just as difficult to load blanks or something like that, it might go to like this group instead of that group. And that's kind of just you know, that's just managers making decisions as far as what's going to be the best way to. To avoid potential problems like that, you know, in contract printing, it's difficult too because every customer sends us exactly what they need, right? Not accounting for any sort of misprints or even just holes, defects from the from the vendor. So, you know, industry standard being at about two percent, we're way way below that. But when it does come up, you know, we we obviously want to avoid it. We want everything to ship complete. Um, we do have a pretty good pile of uh, what we call kind of like lost and found inventory of just stuff that we have, you know, racks of of whatever it is, and if we do just have like one or two scrap pieces or whatever, and we can pull it out of there and replace it, customer doesn't even know, we typically just do that. Uh, but if it's anything more than that, you know, we'll, we'll have to contact customer and get, get replacements and all that and work out how that's gonna work out. So any other questions? <laughs> time for one, two more? Um, yeah. You mentioned earlier you hired your HR person like four or five years ago. How many, um, where were you at employee count there? And another part of that question, um, you had mentioned your eye image was a really good um, kind of equipment purchase. Did you have any hires that were like really good positions that as you grew that like, wow, I wish I would have done that earlier? As, as far as I like, hired? As far as a position you hired for, not necessarily a certain Oh, like person. creating a position? Right, HR, right. I mean, HR, HR was it. Yeah, uh -huh. I mean, that was a big one, just because at the time, I think when she came on board, I was probably, probably still at like 50 employees. Okay. So that was me managing all of that, which was just difficult. And, and again, with the growth and, and just realizing we need to keep more eyes on that. And that was about when we, you know, we implemented health and it really a big push was when we, when we offered company health insurance. And that was just, that's just a lot to manage. So that was just where I was like, I'm not, like, I don't have time to deal with all this. So we need to get somebody that can, that can help out. But that was one, I, I think, a position that, that would have been 
probably what, have a little What bit. employee count do you wish you would have done that at? Like more like 35 or 40, or do you think you waited the right I, amount? I think it was okay when we did it. Uh -huh. I think it really is just relative to where you're at and what your demand is. Like what, what do you have, what's on the plate that, that needs it, I guess. And that was because you hit 50, right? Is that the health insurance? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was that, and also just, I mean, yeah, there was, well, we, we, I guess we, we did it, we did it the year before we technically had to do it, but uh, it was, you know, it's just with the growth of the company, it was a benefit that I wanted to be able to offer. You know, that for, we offer that 401k. I mean, 401k was another thing that I think was great to bring in because as a, you know, as a small business, there's not a lot that, you know, small businesses can really do as far as offering retirement plans and pensions. And so 401k is, I mean, I, if you're not doing that, especially as a business owner, absolutely figure out how to do it because you're going to want it. You know, even that, we, I do have other creative ways that we're getting into to offer pensions through, like, you know, getting creative with life insurance policies and things like that to, to key employees just to try to, you know, we want to be in it for the, for the long haul. Sure. Uh, what is your targeted labor percentage? Target, what was it? Uh, labor percentage. As far as? Uh, just versus sales. Like, you're, you have 80 employees right now? Yeah. Um, like what percent are you spending on labor versus sales? Oh, um, I, it's ideally under under 35 to 40%. Okay. Or actually, no, is that right? I think I'm going too high with that. Yeah, somewhere in there is usually pretty pretty good, but obviously, that you know, that's actually, that's a little high. I'd have to, I'd have to think where I should actually tell you that number. <laughs> yeah. Last questions? We got two, all right. Uh, if you're printing a contract order and you have defective prints that you can't replace immediately, how do you handle absorbing the cost of having to set that job up again? You, honestly, a lot of times we just we just do it. You know, we just have to just get it done. It, it depends on the customer and what the specifics of the of the defect was. If it's within normal within that like two percent allowance and it's something that especially if it's not our fault, you know, if it's just a shirt comes in, I mean we. For whatever reason, Comfort Colors doesn't like to sew the pockets on their shirts. And, you know, I, I see that, and that comes in, and you're running the job, and all of a sudden, 12 of the mediums don't have pockets. And that's the kind of thing where, what do we do for the customer? Do we just do it for them as a courtesy? Do we charge them for it? It kind of just depends on the specifics and, and, and the customer and what we can do for them. But um, if it's on, uh, I mean, if it's on us, if it was our fault, I mean, if it was just excessive scrap for some reason, the screen pops and no one caught it for. You know, on a 20 station press, you might not catch it for you know 20 shirts, and um, typically then we'll we'll just buy the shirts and replace it. Do you have a over/under run that your clients all uh, agree to, or do you? Well, I think that just kind of the every just that industry standard of two percent yeah. for, for for contract printing. You know, again, that's two percent per location, which makes it a little tricky too. And and where it's really tough is when you're doing you know the, a 15 to 30 piece order, and if you do have a screen pop. It, if it's something that you have to put it on auto and it's a small job and the screen breaks or something, you know, the breakdown, or when you're doing like discharge, you know, you don't necessarily catch it right away. Um, it, it really just, just just depends. It's just kind of kind of a case by case on how we handle it. But typically, at the end of the day, we just want our customer to be happy. So we'll talk to them, and if they're really like, "No, it's your fault. You got to take care of it." We'll just you know, we'll just bite the bullet and do it. So. Thanks. Alan, Jiblin. Yeah. Training. Do you do everything in house? Or do you send your folks out anywhere? Or? No, we do we do it all in house. There there is a place I think that was doing that out outside of Madison, which isn't too far from us. But I don't know that I would even that I don't know that I would really trust them to do it the way that we would want it to be done. It's better to do it in house. And then, do you have uh, a signed purchasing agent that just handles working on you know negotiating with your suppliers, or do you really not have to worry about that because most all your stuff is 
Uh, supply well, uh, or uh, like ink suppliers, things like that. I mean, that's basically me. Um, yeah. I mean, if we're we're talking about chemicals or inks or any, any sort of supply that we're bringing in, that's that's me at this point. Awesome. Uh, oh, Brett. So you've grown uh, to a pretty good size uh, print shop. Do you ever wish that you did? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. <laughs> no, that's a good question. It's true. I mean, there, there are definitely days when I'm like, man, I wish I had two autos and didn't have to worry about all this. Yeah, you get to a point where you just feel like, sometimes you just feel like you got to feed this animal and just keep this thing running, which it does feel like a lot of, a lot of stress. And, and sometimes, you know, I, I love printing and I rarely do it anymore. You know, we do, we do live print events, which I've done forever, where we go out and set up on the street and print shirts. And just, you know, whatever with, we just got a little conveyor dryer that we wheel out to do it. And I do that, like I actually go out and print that. Sometimes I do this and I'm like, man, this is just, I kind of miss doing more of that kind of stuff. And, and even just, even in the shop, just printing. Um, but at the same time, I think just the, again, I love production and volume and just seeing everything, you know, seeing the growth. And I'm sure I can always scale it back if I really want to. So. Uh, second question, uh, was there a sweet spot? Um, I would, my first thought on that is the shop I was in before, the, I mean, the, the margins were really good because it was a really low overhead because the building was a lot smaller and we were just packed. I mean, we were packed to the point that every day we had to like come in and I had like two guys that would just spend the first like two hours of the day just bringing stuff out in the parking lot <laughs> just so that we could like work for the day. And I mean, we would rent trailers and we would use other customers' trailers and like fill it up at the day and at the beginning of the day and take it out at night and whatever. And that was like a... You know, the margins were great doing all that kind of stuff, but it wasn't sustainable long term. It was just a lot of stress on everybody and on me and, and whatever. So, I mean, I guess maybe, yeah, I mean, in that four to six auto range, it was a little more like easier to manage, I guess. But I don't know that it was like long term sustainable to be able to say yes whenever you want to get something done. So. Awesome. Thank you, Jeff.